Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, USFL Edition. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and folks, we have made it all the way to week eight. Just five more weeks remaining of this beautiful league. Let's break down everything that happened in week seven. Going to start off with the New Jersey Generals taking down Tampa Bay Bandits 20 to 13. Not the most exciting game, but still plenty of good plays were made here. Generals hopped up quickly thanks to PFF's number one highest graded offensive player in the entire league, Cavante Turpin. Took a ho-hum pass in the flat, made a man miss, scored from 15 yards out. We've been saying it for a while now. Not the same weight, but how could you expect a man to be? Cavante Turpin is the USFL's version of Debo Samuel. Later, it looked like the Generals might turn this one to a blowout. Darius Victor found his way into the end zone uh, from just basically the six-yard line. But hey, look, with Victor, again, just like we're trying to find all these random nicknames for these guys, relate them to the NFL, poor man's version of whatever. Darius Victor is the USL, USFL's version of the muscle hamster, most formerly known as Doug Martin. Shout out. So Generals took that quick lead. And even though the Bandits did find a way to get on the scoreboard with a 20-yard strike from Jordan Tiamu to John Franklin, just wasn't enough. Tiamu was ultimately intercepted three times in this one. Each one was either thrown late or just completely inaccurate. So they did move the ball down the field at the end of the game and have a last chance at the end zone to uh, just tie it, hopefully, maybe even go for two and win the whole damn thing. Why not? But really wasn't a good game for Jordan Tiamu. And it was it came on the back of his best game of the season and honestly his best stretch as well. So disappointing there. But hey, a win is a win is a win. Your New Jersey Generals are now 6-1. and one. Offensive player of the game goes to Generals running back Darius Victor, 81.7 PFF rushing grade, second highest on the week, 72 yards and a touchdown. 56 of those yards came after contact, and he managed to force a weak high six missed tackles on rush attempts. So Trey Williams still involved in New Jersey, but man, Darius Victor, this dude is tough to bring down. Defensive player of the game, general safety, drive on Askew Henry, PFS highest grade defender of the week at 90.1, intercepted Tiamu twice in the same freaking quarter, went ahead and knocked away the potential game winner at the end as well. So great game from Askew. Quickly now looking at some of the fantasy football workload notes, which you can find as always for free. Free, free, free on PFF.com uh, as soon as I get this done every week. It's been Tuesday the last two weeks. Had some Memorial Day plants. Was out there touching some grass. So apologies for being a day late here. But usually on Monday, you can find all this. So with that said, with the Generals, Luis Perez took each and every snap with the Andre Johnson, still sidelined with that knee injury. Trey Williams and Darius Victor were splitting things up. Victor gets the goal line work. Williams continues to get most of the pass game work, as we can see from the 50% to 31% route disparity. At wide receiver, this was a little bit interesting because we had Jamal Moore coming back from a hamstring injury, but Darius Shepard missing time with a hamstring injury. So Alonzo Moore, 96% route rate. He continues to be the number one in terms of just participation, but Jamal Moore was out there for 85% percent snaps and routes alike so to see him come back from that injury and be playing just a full-time role immediately was awesome to see was one of our players of the week hoping this would happen unfortunately you know we weren't able to get the big time box score jump but that's what happens when one freaking quarterback in this entire week throws for multiple touchdowns and also Cavante Turpin who doesn't have the same sort of gaudy you know route rate as these other guys but they force him the ball and we can see that by those four carries and four targets in this one with the tight ends, Woody Brandom and Braden Bowman, both running just 50% of the offensive routes. If you have two tight ends in real life, probably have zero in fantasy football land. 
With the Tampa Bay Bandits, Jordan Tiamu continues to take 100% of the snaps. After this performance, you wonder if, you know, Brady White or whoever the hell their backup is. Pretty sure it's Brady. Uh, but we'll get a couple more chances down the road. But, man, just uh, not a good performance from Tiamu. Juwan Washington continued to work ahead of B.J. Emmons, as has been the case for the last few weeks. But it continues to kind of shrink after we saw Washington play every single snap in that one game that Emmons missed due to injury. So, in this one, it was Washington 62%, Emmons 41%, but ultimately Washington... 12 combined carries and targets versus nine for Emmons. This is a pretty evenly split two-back uh, committee, and I wouldn't really expect Washington to continue to hold uh, this sort of lead that we kind of see shrinking already. At wide receiver, Tampa continues to use six of these guys. It's just a weekly, diff- weekly difficulty trying to figure out who's going to be the recipient of all the big plays. This week, it was mostly John Franklin, though. Six targets, caught the touchdown, 117 air yards. I think that was actually his only catch. But once again, guys, he got got the wildcat snap. John Franklin is that guy that we're going to continue to roll with out of this group as long as he continues to be one of the top two guys and also have those opportunities to pick up rushing production. Also saw Derek Dillon play 79% of the routes. But the next highest guy was Vinny Papali. Shout out uh, Invincible, uh, that, that dude's kid, actually. Vinny Papali, 58% routes. Had a good game, like made several really nice catches out there but man it's just tough to get behind that when you're not even out there for 60 percent of your quarterbacks dropbacks and then Cheyenne O'Grady their tight end who had a monster week one he's consistently looked like one of their best pass catchers on the squad he's now losing plenty of snaps to Daquan Hampton so really again John Franklin as far as his receiver goes really the only guy we can somewhat trust in fantasy land at this point so great job generals uh you know again wasn't the prettiest game offenses combined for just 563 total yards but New Jersey is going to the playoffs and when Cavante Turpin and Darius Victor excuse me when Cavante Turpin and Darius Victor are doing their things uh they're gonna be tough to knock off so good for them Next game, we had New Orleans Breakers take down the Michigan Panthers 31-27 in the first overtime classic in USFL, modern USFL history, I should say. So great job by the Breakers in this one, pulling out the victory. We did see Zach Smith come in for Kyle Sloter on the third series again. This is what happened last week, but... This time it seemed a little more due to performance potentially. Sloter was out there not doing fantastic early. He did have a, two more turnover-worthy plays in this one. Uh, with that said, though, last week we saw him get taken out in the third series. That time seemed more due to injury. Zach Smith, though, came in, threw a wide-open touchdown to Sal Canella, who is basically a wide receiver playing tight end at this point. There was a blown coverage on this play, so wasn't overly impressed with Zach Smith. He did come back out for the fourth drive and play a little bit, and then Sloter took back over and played the rest of the game. So so it's enough to be somewhat annoyed and kind of curious about Sloter's upside. I really think that this Breakers offense would be better off as long as Sloter's healthy enough to feature him for a full allotment of snaps. But if they're not going to do it, we need to adjust accordingly in Fantasyland. Sloter did drive them down the field for his second touchdown of the game right before halftime. Five-yard dime to Jonathan Adams. Again, my pick for best wide receiver in the USFL. Probably the best player. Great job by Adams going up and getting that ball. Box score wasn't overly impressive. The broadcast did mention that, you know, there was a drop on there as well. And But, hey, he came back and had an awesome catch on a brutal underthrow later in the game where he had to, again, battle his way through a couple defenders. So, Jonathan Adams looks the part. Wasn't able to get a reverse right, you know. Uh, if you, you always want to put your inside elbow up to get that ball and just let the quarterback put it into your stomach. He unfortunately tried to grab it, but he's a wide receiver. Maybe just toss him the damn ball next time. Next touchdown came from the Panthers here. A lot of field goals in this one, but basically... 
This performance from Josh Love was so much better than what was shown on the box score. I mean, Josh Love, who was playing on the Maulers earlier in the year and impressed, but he got cut because Kirby Wilson doesn't seem to know what the hell he's doing, comes in for the Panthers, plays every single snap for them with Paxton Lynch on the active list, but not playing still due to that ankle injury. And man, just one big time throw after another from Love. And this one, unfortunately, he didn't get a bunch of help from his friends. So this this one, Josh Love got them down to the goal line and then one yard touchdown from Stevie Scott, but we also saw Reggie Corbin, my pick for just the player of the week we needed the roster before finding out that freaking Stevie Scott ended up being activated off the inactive list and vulturing a touchdown from Corbin. So would not be the last time this game that Corbin got them down the field and ultimately was vultured by one of his teammates. So it's just confusing to see Corbin at this point, I think, look like the single best running back in the USFL uh, continue to be limited by this three-back committee. I mean, come on, guys, you're, you're one and six. Just give the ball to your best player as much as possible. I'm not so sure why this needs to be this difficult. It's not just these one-yard touchdown runs. I mean, we'll talk about the carry uh, disparity later, uh, but to have a guy averaging like eight yards per carry, only giving him the ball 13 times, not that often. We're begging for more rush attempts over here, but man, when you got Reggie Corbin doing his thing, I don't know how you can't. Breakers retook the lead to go up 24-20 when Jordan Ellis ripped off some big runs. And then Anthony Jones caught a 33-yard screen, took it to the house. Awesome downfield blocking on that. Corbin got vultured again later. Once again, making a sick run to get down inside the goal line. This time it was Cam Scarlett who found the end zone from just a single yard out. Again, Corbin, my pick for USFL's best running back. In overtime, first snap for the Panthers went over Josh Love's head. Then he tried to make a pass in the zone covers. It didn't work out. Meanwhile, the Breakers, easy completion to Anthony Jones in the flat. And then Kyle Sloter, walk-off scramble for six. So, very entertaining game. I mean, there were a good four lead changes in the fourth quarter alone. Uh, It was fun to see these guys put on a great performance. And again, Josh Love, I know the counting numbers weren't great, but what we saw out there from him, in my opinion, was you know, one of the better quarterback performances, single game of the season. And for that reason, I got to give the offensive players of the game to Panthers quarterback Josh Love, Panthers running back Reggie Corbin, and Breakers quarterback Kyle Sloter. Again, like Sloter, he completed 15 of 24 passes, 182 yards, and two scores. Only quarterback of the week that actually threw for multiple touchdowns. So it's one of those things where it's like he was second among all USFL quarterbacks in yards per attempt, second in QB rating on the week. I just think with Sloter at this point, it's tough to really be too critical of him. I, I can count the interceptions, guys. I understand it's not like he's been completely lights out, but relative to these other quarterbacks, let's go ahead and stick with Kyle Sloter, guys. Please mentioned the, the Josh Love game and just the things he was able to do there. Don't let those counting numbers mislead you. Made a lot of great throws. I mean, should have easily had two, if not three, other touchdowns on plays that I wouldn't say were egregious drops, but on one of them, Devin Ross, you know, went out with one hand when he probably could have gone two ball bounced off his hands. And then he had another great throw into the end zone that I believe ended up being called for defensive pass interference, but his wide receiver had a chance of catching it anyway, just wasn't able to do so. Mentioned Reggie Corbin, just 13 carries to rack up 108 yards, five force missed tackles, and 51 yards after contact on the day. So yeah, if he didn't get vultured, would have looked a lot better on the fantasy sheet. Defensive players of the game, Panthers defensive tackle Jaquan Bailey, 89.8 PFF defensive grade, 90.1 pass rush, not just sacked three pressures and batted down two passes for the effort. Also, Breakers cornerback Isaiah Brown, 89.4 PFF grade, allowed just one of his six targets in the coverage to be caught for a measly nine scoreless yards. 
with the breakers. I mentioned Kyle Sloter, 73% of the snaps, Zach Smith, 27. So yeah, it's enough of a worry where with Kyle Sloter going up against some of these other quarterbacks in fantasy, I will give the tiebreaker to those other guys as long as Zach Smith continues to be even this involved. Jordan Ellis retook the lead from Anthony Jones in this backfield. Jones was over 100 yards last week. With that said, Jones 11 carries and two targets. Ellis had seven carries and three targets. So one of these situations where expect the snaps to go either way and the touches are going to be pretty even for either guy. Sean Poindexter returned from injury, uh, that hand injury. I kept him out last week and got back to an elite 97% route rate. Jonathan Adams, again, above 90%. Johnny Dixon, 85%. As predicted, the odd man out was Taiwan Taylor, just 27% of the routes. He also fumbled one of his early catches, but was ruled down and then fumbled a kick return. So maybe that's why uh, it was as big of a difference as it was. Because we'd seen Jonathan Adams and Johnny Dixon usually just be the top two guys no matter what to see Poindexter separate from Taylor this much was a little bit surprising but hey when you got Sal Canella working out there you know USFL version of Kyle, no Kyle Pitts version is Bug Howard we'll give we'll give Sal Canella the if we get Bug Howard the Mike Jasicki tag we can give Sal Canella the Kyle Pitts tag so let's go ahead and go with that 85% route rate five targets 42 air yards he looks good out there as well so Sal Canella is one of those tight ends that I think we can flex and with confidence because he basically you know Another coaching staff could very well call him a wide receiver. With the Michigan Panthers, again, Josh Love, 100% of the snaps with Paxton Lynch still sidelined and Shea Patterson still cut. Hey, if any of you USFL employees listening to this, maybe take Shea Patterson off of your extended highlights at the end of it, like you watch a USFL video on their YouTube page, and then Shea Patterson comes in at the end telling you, thanks for watching, this and that. I know he was your guy's number one overall pick. Right now, he's not even active on a roster. So, yeah, would change that. Anyway, this is the backfield discrepancy I was breaking. I was talking about. Reggie Corbin, 42% snap. Stevie Scott, 36%. Cam Scarlett, 22%. Like, this is like 2019 Rojo, Peyton Barber, Dario Gubawale levels of just sickness right here, especially when one of them is playing as well as Reggie Corbin. So Corbin, 13 carries, Stevie Scott, 11, Cam Scarlett, 6. You would like to think that Corbin's going to pull away, but he's been the best running back on this team for months at this point. I don't know what the hell they're waiting for. It's going to be tough to put Corbin on the same level as someone like Bo Scarborough when he's going to have to be picking up those yards, you know, on half the amount of opportunities. He did it this week, but it's tough to expect that to happen each and every time out. Pretty interesting at wide receiver. Lance Lenore continues to be the number one, 83% routes, 75 air yards, seven targets. But we actually saw Joe Work Walker overtake Devin Ross as the number two. Mentioned before, Ross had that one-hander. He wasn't quite able to reel in. Maybe that had something to do with Walker taking the leap. Even then, though, Walker just 68% route rate um, compared to Lenore, who is at 83%. So if you are going to target a pass catcher in this offense, it should continue to be Lance Lenore. And finally, at tight end, not one, not two, not three, but four different tight ends played at least 23% of the offensive snaps. Marcus Ball had five targets. LeMichael Petway had six. But when you have four tight ends involved, guys, we can't get behind any of them in fantasy land. So, yes, very entertaining game. Breakers are now five and two and should continue to be viewed as a top three team in the league. Let's get full-time rules for Kyle Slaughter and Reggie Corbin moving forward, please. Birmingham Stallions took down the Pittsburgh Maulers 26-16. Maulers on the first, for the first touchdown of the game, marched 71 yards in 10 plays. Nine of those plays were just carries to Madre London, who ultimately capped things off with a four-yard score, taking the early lead. Birmingham managed to retake the lead, not with, literally with their offense. I mean, Jamar Smith on the first drive of the game, he threw a B-E, a beautiful downfield bomb to Victor Bolden, who caught it over his head, like shoulder, like Willie May style, you know. 
It was a freaking awesome catch, arguably even better throw. And he also did have a dime later dropped um, deep down the field that would have been good for 50-plus, if not a touchdown. So we had those two awesome throws from Jamar Smith. But other than that, it really was a rough performance at the office. Like, they got their first touchdown of the game when their fullback slash tight end Bobby Holly took a fake punt right up the middle, scooted 52 yards all the way to the end zone. I mean, the punt returner was like the only one that even saw what was going on. Even the gunners were just still like, or not the gunners, the guys blocking the gunners were just running back like it was going to be a punt. Anyway, Stallions took the lead for they had the lead here. They end up closing things out with a short touchdown from C.J. Maribel. They love running that power T formation. There's two tight ends. They have a fullback lineup behind the quarterback. And then there's two running backs that all with their hand in the dirt line up next to the fullback forming kind of that T formation. So it worked for them a few times. Uh, Bo Scarborough really helped get them down the field often in this one. Uh, and then mentioned how Jeffrey Thomas was that guy who dropped that 50-yard catch, if not a long touchdown from Jamar Smith. But they scored the same drive anyway so no harm no foul and a victory for the still undefeated Birmingham Stallions got to give the offensive players the game to the running backs no one was overly efficient in this one through the passing game so it was tough to go in too much of a different direction Scarborough 27 carries to get the 100 yards but it was tough sledding for him 86 of those 100 yards came after contact good on him for being able to reach that number despite it not being easy and then for the Maulers Madre London 99 yards on the ground thanks to 18 rush attempts but hey 60 of them did come after contact so great game from London Defensive player of the game, going to go with Stallions defensive tackle Willie Yarberry, one of just two defenders to rack up multiple sacks in Week 70, totaled three pressures, continued to make life difficult for the opposing quarterbacks as one of the key cogs in the Stallions League best pass rush. In terms of fantasy workload notes, oh man, this stuff is wild here. So Jamar Smith continues to play 100%. Okay, I shouldn't say continue. He played 100% of the snaps here, but you'll notice that Alex Magoo did play 25% of the snaps. That's because they're trying to use Alex Magoo as a wide receiver now, which is cute and it's fine, but come on, guys. Not when you have these other already good receivers. Like, why is Alex Magoo running a route rate even somewhat close to Victor freaking Bolden? Like, that is a crime. Of course, when Magoo does get a catchable pass, Jamar Smith hits him right in the freaking hands. It bounces off Magoo's hands and then is intercepted. So, maybe a conspiracy by Magoo? to try to uh, get a pass this way intercepted to look bad in Jamar all jokes aside yeah no we are not going to be rostering Alex Magoo in any way shape or form moving forward at least Jamar Smith seems to have finally separated himself as the full-time QB1 in the backfield, the Bo Scarborough show. CJ Maribel was banged up. I think they were only kind of using him in that power T formation. So I'm not so sure Scarborough is going to consistently hold this big of a lead in terms of the usage, but maybe it's been trending this way. And to Scarborough's credit, he has been playing well. So 86% snaps for Scarborough, highest mark of the week, 27 carries and even got a target in there. So Bo Scarborough, in terms of raw touches, I think should be projected as the number one running back in the USFL. Moving forward, At wide receiver, Osiris Mitchell, 96% routes. Michael Darius, 93% routes. Jeff Thomas, 29%. And Victor Bolden, just 32%. I... I don't hope anyone's injured, but like the fact that Bolden wasn't able to get more chances after, again, having just a remarkable catch on like the first drive of the game, awfully confusing. Mitchell continues to do good things, though. If you really wanted to lean on anyone here moving forward, I do think it should be Osiris Mitchell. And then we have three tight ends being used here, unfortunately rendering Kerry Angeline as a non-viable fantasy asset. 
over with the Pittsburgh Maulers. Just uh, the latest display and excellent coaching from Kirby Wilson. Vadley is out there. Not making a ton happen, but to be fair, we've seen Vadley really have all of his good performances, all the touchdown drives coming in the fourth quarter of these games. So why not bench him for Roland Rivers, who has been on the team for basically a week uh, right in crunch time. Wasn't able to hear the exact reasoning why in the sideline, but from gathering on Twitter, it seemed to be that Kirby Wilson benched Vadley because of body language issues. Like, man, when your team's one and six, I just think it's really hard to get by with that like rah-rah, you know, oh, body issue. Emo- having these like emotional reasons for making your coaching decisions. Look, I'm not a coach and Kirby Wilson's been doing it far longer than me. My point is when your team is this bad, you know, when before the season even starts, you're making all the wrong news for basically cutting your running back because he wasn't, you know, he wanted pizza. That wasn't that the freaking story going on there. And then to see the quarterback rotation go this way, Kyle Luletta, Josh Love, Vadley, now Roland Rivers. How could any of these quarterbacks have confidence at this point when just, I don't know, having a bad play and just not being thrilled about it, that's going to get you benched right away. I know the quarterback needs to be the leader on the field and all that, and there's more that goes into it and everything, but it'd be a lot easier to take Kirby Wilson's side if if this was the first uh, time this happened, not the freaking force. So I don't know, man. Like, what do you expect when you're putting a quarterback out there that barely knows the playbook? And uh, yeah, it's, he hasn't had a chance to play until it's four minutes left in the game. Rolling Rivers, I'm, no, I don't think he's terrible or anything. He had some really good success at, I believe, Stony Creek uh, when he was in college. But at this point, expecting anything out of this passing game is going to be difficult when Oh, look, Trey Walker is inactive, who's been one of their best offensive players all season long. And I'm not even sure if it was because of an injury because of the Twitter feed. And oh, hey, Bailey Gaither, 35% route rate. Why not play Isaiah Henney, Delvin Hardaway, and Jalen McCleskey over him? Like, Bailey Gaither and Trey Walker have been the only sources of offense for this team all season long. And to see Walker rendered I guess in a healthy scratch, potentially. I'm not sure if he's even hurt. And then Gaither being dropped down the wide receiver four. I, I just really don't get it. Um, yeah, and the running back room, Madre London, Garrett Groshek, continuing to split things, but we got fullback Mikey Daniel, who did hurt old guy. That was dope. Uh, stealing just enough away to kind of hurt both those guys' value as well. So, yeah, um, in one word, I guess in three words to describe the Pittsburgh Maulers offense, uh, I would just use, I hate it. That's going to wrap it up against Stallions. Hardly dominating this one, just 318 total yards of offense. But when the Maulers only get 199, ended up not being that close anyway. But yeah, just I can't overstate how bad this Maulers team is. And that's, I guess, the, again, more reason why Kirby Wilson shouldn't be getting the benefit of the doubt here. Because we've seen with several other teams that a 1-6 record doesn't mean you have to be getting killed in every single game like this. The Houston Gamblers are 1-6. They only boast a minus 21 point differential. The Michigan Panthers, Jeff Fisher, 1-6. They're only at minus 13 points this year. The Maulers, minus 72 points on the season. They're the USFL's worst team, as the Stallions are the best. Last one here, everyone. The Philadelphia Stars took down the Houston Gamblers 35-24. to Scoring got going in a hurry. Case Cookets got drilled, intercepted by Gamblers linebacker Donald Payne. Absolutely sick play. Like, for Payne to make this diving catch, get up, find his way into the end zone. Former safety converted to linebacker. I mean, if that's not the sort of play you want to see your linebackers being able to make, I'm not sure what is. Stars did come back and quickly retook the lead on a four-yard touchdown run by Matt Colburn. But this was really Darnell Holland who made this happen. Their week one starting running back. We've seen Colborne take over recently, but 36-yard run by Holland to get them inside the 10-yard line. He has looked he looked healthier um, on Sunday than he has in weeks. 
Gamblers retook the lead. This was a nice back-and-forth affair. Uh, Clayton Thorson got them close, but unfortunately injured his elbow and wasn't able to return. This brought in Kenji Baher, who was able to find a wide-open Brandon Barnes from six yards out for the touchdown. Houston then stretched their lead, seven-play, 70-yard drive. Baher had a nice 45-yard connection to T.O. Redding on a free play. Got the offsides, tossed it up. Great catch by T.O. Redding on this one. I mean, this dude makes at least one great catch every single week, it seems like. Basically contested, was able to contort, however the hell you say that. He was able to move his body in a way to kind of wall off the defender, make the nice catch on the sideline. Mark Thompson finished the drive with a nine-yard score after getting to the outside. Stars, though, scored the final two touchdowns of the game. First on a 39-yard touchdown from Cookus to Jordan Sewell. It was a good job by Cookus getting out of the pocket, basically lobbed it up on the run. Pretty underthrown, though, and the defender fell down. So credit to Sewell for making the adjustment and high pointing that pass, but I do wonder if the defender didn't just straight up fall down if that wouldn't have been an interception because, again, wasn't the prettiest throw in the world. And then, finally, they retook the lead for good on a 10-play, 61-yard drive, capped off by a 3-yard touchdown run by Holland. Biggest play of the drive was a 29-yard scramble by Cookus to set up the Stars inside the Gamblers' 20-yard line. Gotta get the player of the game, too. Jordan Sewell caught all seven of his targets for 72 yards in that aforementioned crucial fourth-quarter touchdown. Defensive players of the game, Gamblers linebacker Donald Payne had that awesome uh, pick six. Also added another interception later in the game. Gamblers defensive end Chris Odom, weak-high eight pressures and one on a 22% clip on his pass rush snaps. Love to see that. And Stars defensive end Adam Rodriguez, one of just two defenders on the week with two sacks, had an elite 22-point 2% win rate in terms of pressure. Looking at some of the fantasy football workload notes, Case Cook is continuing to take each and every snap for the Stars in the absence of Brian Scott. Expect that to continue. Matt Colborn, 76% snaps, 66% routes, 22 carries and 4 targets. Really continuing to work well ahead of Darnell Holland. 24% snaps, just 6 carries. Holland looks so good. I would think that they're going to move this tighter, but I don't know. Colborn's looking pretty good in his own right. They seem to like what they have here. Note that Paul Terry was a seemingly healthy scratch. So as long as Paul Terry doesn't get involved, you can't and go back to the well with more confidence to Colburn, especially as long as Holland continues to be the odd man out. At wide receiver, Devin Gray, 97% routes. Jordan Sewell, 94% routes. Maurice Alexander, 94%. And Buck Howard, 84%. Those are your four main wide receivers for this squad. We got Chris Rowland doing some good things as well, but he's just not on the field enough to trust. So if you want to invest in this passing game, Gray, Sewell, Alexander, Buck Howard, those are your guys. We did see... Someone was out, I believe, um, and that kind of helped Alexander. But for now, he is in that wide receiver, three wide receiver set, as is Bug Howard, who, again, is the USFL's version of Mike Jasicki. Over with the Houston Gamblers. Again, mentioned Clayton Thorson suffering that elbow injury, leading to Kenji Bahar coming in. Kenji didn't even run the ball, which was bad to see because that looks like one of his strengths. He made some okay throws early on. I mentioned the deep ball to T.O. Redding, wide open touchdown to Barnes, but man, end of this game wasn't pretty. I believe in three drives at the end, like he got picked, he fumbled, and then he took a safety on the last play of the game. So just three straight turnovers to end the game. Not exactly what you wanted to see there. Most concerning part here, Mark Thompson, 59% snaps, 13 carries and one target. I mean, this was a game the Gamblers were ahead of in a lot. And to see both Dalen Dawkins and Devwall Whaley find a way to combine for 41% of the running back snaps, not ideal for Thompson. We can live with two running back committees. It gets complicated when there's three or more. And that's really what we saw here for the first time. Dawkins and Whaley had rotated out a couple times, but it was always just one of them being the backup for Thompson. This was far more of a committee. Still getting 13 
carries. But again, it's going to be tough to really rationalize putting Thompson ahead of someone like Bo Scarborough when we could be looking at a legit 10 plus carry difference per week. Isaiah Zuber, 94% routes. Tio Redding, 81%. Anthony Ratliff Williams, 78%. After that, just a bunch of complimentary guys. So Zuber, well, hasn't been able to put together that big performance we've been hoping for recently. I would like to think that would have happened had uh, Thorson not gotten hurt. But at this point, trusting this Houston Gamblers passing game might be a little bit wishful thinking. And that is going to wrap things up. So hopefully the Stars, number two seed in the USFL's rather weak uh, North Division, can go ahead and get Brian Scott back for the stretch run. But Cookus has proven capable of putting up some big point totals and ultimately leading Philly to some wins, which is all you can ask from the man. So again, fun week seven. Hope you guys are enjoying this league as much as I am. And we got three more on the way. Then we're going to Canton, baby, for the playoff stretch. I'm going to do everything in my power to go watch those games live. So great day to be great. Thank you all for tuning in again to another edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody. Thank you.